Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And one of my favorite guests returns to the show. My dad, Teddy Irvin, is here as we wrap up the uh, never-ending Jericho 30 celebration. This is the last, though. He was there from the very beginning. Well, he's been there since the day I was born. But he was there from the moment I discovered wrestling to the day I told him that's what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, to my first visit to the Hart Brothers uh, Pro Wrestling School, which was behind a little gas station. Teddy's got stories about all that, uh, memories that he has that I don't, memories that I have that he doesn't. Uh, what he remembers about my first match, about coming to see me train, meeting Vince McMahon, seeing me wrestle at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. We talk about my tag team partners that he enjoyed, Big Show and Kevin Owens, the uh, ladder match I had with Shawn Michaels, the, the, the title match I had with Shawn Michaels, and a couple of the worst phone calls he ever received, the kind that no parent wants to get. Uh, great stories about my 30 years in the business from my dad's perspective uh, is coming up. So is a new ep- uh, episode of the Winnipeggers tomorrow night, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel and Facebook. Uh, last week was our highest rated show ever when we did impressions live. This week, uh, we're going to, uh, to do some rock and roll crazy nights, sharing stories about some of the concerts we saw growing up in Winnipeg and around uh, the United States and Canada when we did rock and roll ro- uh, road trips. Here's stories about a uh, piss-covered Metallica guitar pick, a five-hour drive to Fargo for 1990s Hot in the Shade tour from KISS, the Billy Idol rule, magic mushrooms at Pink Floyd's Division Bell, and uh, my shared bathroom experience with Yoko Ono. <laughs> Come have a drink and a laugh with the Winnipeggers. New episode drops tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, on YouTube and Facebook. And don't forget to go to ProWrestlingTees.com to get your official Winnipeggers uh, uh, merch, Winnipeggers shirt. I think it's 20% off right now. And don't forget about Painmaker Apparel, T-shirts, hoodies, tracksuits, all inspired by my tours and times in Japan. Go to painmaker.store, get your order in today, right before Christmas. And uh, my fifth book, The Complete List of Jericho, available for pre-order now at jericho30.com. A collection of every one of my two uh, over 2,722-odd matches, or whatever it is. Uh, top 10 list, personal stories from wrestling uh, uh, icons and legends from around the world. And if you pre-order now, you get an exclusive 90-minute companion podcast only for pre-orders where I talk all about the matches uh, that I had. So uh, go do that at Jericho30.com. And, of course, don't forget littlebitofthebubbly.com to pick up some of the remaining uh, inventory from uh, my award-winning award-winning uh, uh, champagne, sparkling wine, all that stuff for great Christmas ideas. But now that we've got that done, let's go back to Teddy Irvin, a 30th anniversary uh, of Chris Jericho from a father's perspective right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, so it's... Um as everyone knows, it's been shoved down your throats the 30th anniversary of uh, of Jericho. 
And I thought kind of the, the kind of the cool final piece of the puzzle would be to talk to uh, talk as Jericho alumni uh, Teddy Irvin back again, uh, just to discuss kind of the those early days and kind of the memories of what it was like for both of us for you. Because it's funny because when I, I I had uh, Lance on to do a couple watch-alongs for our first match and second match, and his um, recollections are different than mine. So it's just kind of cool to get the different stories and the different thoughts and all that sort of thing. But hard to believe it's been 30 years. It's incredible. I agree. What I did was uh, I'm at a stage in my life I reminisce lots about where I came from, how I got there. And when the 30th came up right away, things came to my mind that I was not – I was really pleased with the things I remembered. And I couldn't figure out why would I remember some of these things? Because I remember the bouts that I've seen lots on TV. I've been there live, but there's other things that I often wondered, do you know, because you know what I like when I'm at the Rassan or at Fozzie, I go to the back and I like to watch the crowd and right. reaction. And, uh, and all of a sudden things came to my mind, just popped up. And I uh, talked to you. I said, my goodness, do you remember when, if, and ands and buts? And uh, yeah, it really was uh quite 30 years and uh, congratulations and uh, I've got the poster here the 25th with uh, luscious Lenny and uh, Don and uh, Lance and going back to those guys now the four of them you you wrestled all 30 years which is incredible and so I often wondered I don't get a chance to interview ever interview you is that what made you different? Like uh, I played in the NHL. There's hundreds of hockey players that had more talent. Why did I make it? Why did you make it? And I always came back to you had the biggest heart, but you seem to have a game plan when you're 17 or 18. And when a door shut, you just opened up another one. You had a tremendous uh, mind to say, I'm not going to let these guys put me down. So I, 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 when I started reminiscing, I went to – like your interviews have always been spectacular where that come from. And I went back to the silver dollar saloon and the, your gym there. And you guys had the, the mic there and the cameras. And I thought you were fooling around, but obviously you took it serious enough to say, how do I get better at this? Eh? And uh, so now it comes naturally to you, but at first you were still learning. And so the 30 years to me has popped up lots of stuff about behind the scenes uh, in the dress room, I don't know what, what stuff you'll talk about, but I'm fascinated to learn about you as my son. <laughs> the funny thing is, so 30 years ago, how old are you right now? 75. So you were 45. So you were younger than me, than I am now when uh, <laughs> when I started started uh, started wrestling, which is just – Never once. Because, you know, to, to go to the wrestling career at that age, everybody's got an opinion in life, and you know what that is. But I never once ever doubted that you were going to be a wrestler. And that's what's so interesting. When I sit back, people say, well, did you ever know? I said, I never doubted it for some reason. Mm-hmm. One, I didn't know how you became one and what was the rules or what, was, you know, what did you have to go through. But never, ever did I not think you weren't going to be a wrestler. Well, let's think. Let's think about some of this stuff because it's really interesting. Like, kind of going back uh, to how I got into wrestling, and that was with, I think, with my grandma, your mother. She she loved watching wrestling, and obviously, I know my side of it that she was a big fan of of 
of you know watching the AWA because I say it's, it was like it was like the triumphant of, of childhood programming on a Saturday night. It was five o'clock was um, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. Six o'clock was AWA, and seven o'clock was Hockey Night in Canada. And I remember going to to Grandma and Grandpa's house and watching those. So, what was your experience? I don't even know, even as a kid or whatever, of your parents, more specifically your mother, being a wrestling fan. How far back did that go? Well, I went back now. It goes hockey night in Canada. Okay, that was our biggest thing. Yeah. I remember I told you my dad had bought it, got a TV. He couldn't afford to pay for it, so he had a box on the side of the TV where you had to put a quarter in to run the TV. So everybody came from the neighborhood with bottles <laughs> and quarters, and the whole thing was to watch hockey night in Canada. But the mm-hmm. hour before that, from Maple Leaf Garden was Whipper Billy Watson and the midget Skylo Low and all those guys and Lord Athel Layton, and we watched that first hour. Don't ever say anything about wrestling because my mother would tell people to leave the house. You know, she just said, you guys get out of my house. Well, it's not get out of the house, and she was real about it. <laughs> so you were, by osmosis, seeing all that stuff. Then at 12, you were given tickets by your aunts to go to the Winnipeg Arena to watch wrestling. And that just clicked to you like you wouldn't believe. You became, it was your mind at that time was entertainment, obviously. Imagination, unbelievable. Your size wasn't tremendous. But the whole atmosphere, the Winnipeg Arena, the crowd, the noise, the size of the wrestlers, you were just enthralled by it. Then you took some of your buddies, and you were cheeky. So you'd be mouthing off to Scott Hall, uh, Scott Hall, Haystack Calhoun, give him the finger and the thumb and everything else. And the guys, you can't do that, Chris. You were right into it. So And then you started in the basement of the house. But, it, yeah, it started my, with my mom, don't mess with Saturday Night Wrestling. We got the hockey, but don't mess with Maple Leaf Gardens. We took her to wrestling at the Winnipeg Auditorium. At that time, the midgets was there. She had to leave. She, it was too violent. She couldn't watch it, but yet she watched it on TV. <laughs> oh, so really? Where you did, she wouldn't be able to watch it. Mm-hmm. She scolded you. It's too painful for her. It's funny because I remember um, that she hated Jesse the Body Ventura, and I obviously wouldn't go against what my grandma said, so I – you know, pretending not to like him too, but I loved him. I thought he was great. Like, I remember they had that jewel in the in the crease of his chin, and I used to think that was the coolest thing. And I remember she's like that that jerk Jesse Ventura, and I was just super enthralled with him. But I think that's kind of where it all started. One of the highlights was we had the old time hockey. We raised a lot of money, and one of the groups is Rainbow Society. We played the Holiday on Ice uh, movie stars. And one of my teammates was Billy Goldsworthy. His best friend was Jesse the Body. Jesse the Body came up to play with the Hollywood and Ice after the first period. We were down 7 nothing, he, and we were drinking beer in the dressing room. He came and drank beer with us. He couldn't stand up. He said, can I play with you guys? at sure. After I went to him, I said, would you mind talking to my son? And I always meant you came in with two buddies to the hotel, and Jesse took the time, and you had your sleeves rolled up in the old days like muscles. <laughs> And he sat down with you, and he was so kind. And he said the greatest thing he ever could have said to you, be ready for a life of pain and get your education. And that turned your schooling around, I thought, anyhow. But I'll never forget, again, one of those people put in life and spent the time with you. You know, they could have been smart. Who are you type thing? No, they give you advice that you took. Well, it's funny because I remember that day. It was, was, uh, I think, about 1988 or so, and I was walking downtown. I had just gone to the record store. And I remember just walking down the street and, and passing me, because Jesse used to wear this this white leather jacket with 
tons of tassels on it. He wore it on on Saturday night's main event, and he walked past me. I was like, holy shit, that's Jesse, Jesse the Body. And I'll never forget, because I literally turned around and went and started walking beside him, and he did something that I would never do. Like, I would be, like, friendly but almost dismissive, but he talked to me for about five, ten minutes. And then I said, yeah, my dad's playing in that game. And, he's, and, and then, you know, like you said, go talk to my son or he, come talk to me later. And we did end up sitting there talking to him for about two hours. He told us so many great stories about the Predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger and being in the dungeon and, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event and Under the Giant. And I remember thinking, like, this guy's really cool. And he said, like, like you said, go get your education, get ready for a world of pain. But he spent two, three hours in the corner with us to the point I even remembered that interview and transcribed it for the Red River uh, Projector, which was the newspaper for, for my college. So I got my exclusive Just the Body intro, even though he didn't know it. <laughs> well, I was really appreciative. He didn't offer you a beer at all. I know, right? I was almost 18, which I could have handled one. But um, So you mentioned about how you always knew that I'd be a wrestler. Because I remember we used to watch wrestling uh, at your office. We'd rent the, the, the videotapes. Uh, get some Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and watch the latest Coliseum video uh, releases. Well, see, I didn't know what you were doing, how much of a student you were. I knew you were watching stuff. Yeah, I remember that day because above a shortstop's store in Winnipeg, and you had me over your head, and the owner came up and said, what's all the noise up here? Yeah, we were wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I had to tell my son to put me down because <laughs> you learned a new move in that. And, uh, yeah, so uh, for me, it was – those early days where you thought and what you, I remember the first boat at Garden City when I went and they were trying you out and all of a sudden they came to me and said, we're going to use your son again. It was all TV taping. And, and you're good. Bulldog Bob Brown and Carrie Brown. And I always remember, again, learning about you. Uh, he left the ring and said something, Bulldog said something smart to your mom. Your boy's a piece of whatever it is. And my buddy Big Pete put his arm up and said, get the hell out of here. Well, I got a huge pop. Next day in the house, you sat me down at the, at the kitchen table and said, Dad, you can't come anymore. I said, why? Is you can't get involved with the fans. It's our job to get them riled up. And you were scolding me. I don't remember sitting there. You were yapping at me at 17, 18. And I told Big Pete, I just got heck from my son. I can't go to wrestling anymore. Then I realized, no, you've always had this vision. It's about the fans. And you learned about them. Let them do their things. And that was uh, why would I remember that? I because I'm intrigued by why would you you took it seriously? It wasn't oh thanks a lot, Dad. Wasn't that a great boat? No, you shut your mouth. Let the fans enjoy them. Well, it was embarrassing because you stood up like you were going to fight Bulldog Bob Brown. I'm just sitting there like ah, it's a show. Oh, you're killing it. People are going to want to see Teddy Irvin versus Bulldog Bob Brown, not me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that started to give me. Then I believe. Then I learned hey, you really believe what you're doing is right. You have that passion, eh? So when I leave things, I'm analytical. I for years I, yeah, I think I really believe what he's doing, and that made me feel good. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
let me ask you this. So, so let's talk about when, how did I approach you, Terry, that I really wanted to be in wrestling? And Because I remember the first, we, we tried to look around town to try and find a wrestling school and that sort of thing. So kind of talk about that. Well, again, I've always said to you, I don't believe in spoiling people's dreams. If you want to try something, go for it if you believe in it. <laughs> After you destroyed our house so many times and the, and the roof downstairs by jumping up and hitting the roof of the boys, I knew you were, you were into this, but it was your entertainment in your mind. You, you had a different mind. And you started pushing weights, and you weren't afraid to say anything. And you just said to me one day, he said, Dad, I want to give this a try. And that's when we said, okay, let's scout it out. And it turned out the Heart Foundation School popped up. But before that, though, before we, we went and talked to, like, Bob Holiday, and we talked to Tony Candelo. You remember that? Yeah. Well, again, you're right there. That's my mind. I've got it written down. Yeah, those guys were in it. Doc Holiday first. He was going up north, and he was taking Bern Von Raschke. And who was the school teacher? Was it Catfish somebody? Catfish Charlie. Yeah. And I said, Doc, I said, take Chris along. Let him do the rings. And he said, okay. And you guys went up north. I always remember you were gone, and uh, I remember all of a sudden you were in Steinbach, Manitoba, going to um, – Mennonite or Hutter Wright museums with uh, Baron Von Rasky and Catfish. And I said, these are pretty good guys taking my son off. <laughs> so that started it. You were with those guys, you were working, and that started it. And then when Tony came along, it was, I, I think you had more of a push with Tony than I did because of the guys you were wrestling that day. Eh? But Doc was the first one that was the guy that you traveled in. You didn't live in the greatest conditions nor the greatest arenas, but you sur- survived up there. So after that, I talked to Doc and because he was still involved with the wrestling here in Winnipeg. He was the local promoter. He was like the local representative for the WWE. Yeah. And uh, again, you confirmed to me that you put your time in and you still wanted to do it. You had many chances just to back up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. So then – Locally, you started doing those bouts, and I remember being in those. No, 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 I wasn't doing those bouts yet because I hadn't trained yet. We, I hadn't trained. I, we, I was trying to find a place to train. But after the train, you came back to Winnipeg and you were doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We drive up to, I remember because we were late. Slow, slow down, slow, slow, slow down a bit. There's a couple of funny things here. So Doc Holliday ran his own tour of, of, of the northern areas of Manitoba, the Indian reservations and that sort of thing. And he was the local promoter for the WWE, so he always had an in. And I remember, like, you know, he, even when before WWF, it was AWA, and you got me Blackjack Lanza's autograph and Stanley Blackburn's autograph and that sort of thing. So to go up north with Bob Holiday as the ring crew guy was quite the eye opener. And I remember I was with a bunch of guys, they, like, uh, they, they called me Pretty Fur. And one guy was called Man Mountain Mike, and he weighed about. 200 pounds he used to weigh 350 he was like this just this bag of bones and he was calling me pretty fur and i remember thinking i'll kick the shit out of you right now you fat you know but i was i was cool and catfish charlie kind of took me under his wing and he was my roommate he was a super nice guy didn't drink didn't smoke and he's the guy that filled 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 me in that wrestling wasn't real and i'll never forget that like when he told me that you know whoever really wins doesn't really win it's just what the promoter wants and I remember saying, okay, okay, but the championship matches, those are real. Like when Hulk Hogan wins, he's really the champion, right? And Catfish Charles was like, no, it doesn't work that way. And I remember just being like, oh, no. Yeah. 
so that was kind of the experience of getting of getting the taste of of what it was like just to be on that tour and i could tell a hundred stories just about that alone but then that was where like i really want to get into this and and bob didn't have a school and i remember you called tony and i remember he was kind of uh he was kind of rude to you or something like that where it's like kind of standoffish and all that sort of stuff and then i started watching stampede wrestling where they had a school and there was an address on there where you could write a letter to. And I wrote, you know, and that's kind of where all that started. So then you and I decided to take a drive in 1989, the year before I was going to go just to check out, you know, the illustrious Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp. And that was it. And I remember we left Winnipeg late because you were either at a concert or something. So we didn't get on the road to that night. So we drove a little bit. To Moosa, man, I think, and we stayed that <laughs> night. And then we jumped in the car. We got up to, uh, I believe it was uh, the ring. Was the ring in Okotoks? No, it was. It was at the. Uh, no, it was at Okotoks. It was just a tryout type thing. It was just you and me and two guys. Uh, one of the Hart boys, Keith Hart. Keith Hart. They walked you in the ring and said right away, "Get in the ring, fall backwards." That's what I remember. Really? Yes. And I'm watching. And I'm saying to them, how did he fall? How did he fall? Well, he's got to put his arms out a little better. Keep your head up, son. And I'm going, I'm really into this. And I realized after, I don't know if these guys know what the hell they're doing. So <laughs> then I watched them, and they did some more stuff. And uh, and I thought it was like you were drafted number one in the NHL. They wanted you so bad. And I realized it was their business. They were going to say anything. Of course. <laughs> well, the best part was it's like we're driving to Calgary because when you watch, you know, uh, Stampede Wrestling, and all we ever heard about was the Heart Dungeon. I remember Jesse told me, like, be, be prepared to live every day in pain in the Heart Dungeon. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So I was expecting like this kind of big training center with, you know, I don't know, drills and rings, kind of what the, the WWE Performance Center has now, or, or, or uh, QT Marshall's Wrestling School in Atlanta for AW, like where it's, it's an actual thing. So we drive to Calgary, and the address uh, was not Calgary, it was Okotoks, which at the time was like Okotoks, that's a funny named place. But the only reason why we knew it is that Auntie Georgette's sister Paula lived in Okotoks. Remember that? So, so we're driving to Calgary and then Okotoks about 30 minutes south. And I remember we're looking for this address and there's no GPSs back then. It's a map and you're looking on the road and you see like, well, there's just a gas station here. Where's the heart dungeon? Where's this giant complex that's uh, going to be housing, you know, all of these tremendous world-class athletes. And I remember we pulled in. It was a fast gas. And Lenny used to actually work there. And and it's like, do you know where the Hart Brothers camp is? It's right behind. And we go outside, and it's basically just a shed, like a little bit bigger than a shed. And open up the shed. And remember, it was like the ring was there. And I remember there's a bunch of, like, Stampede Wrestling, not even posters from the, from the Calgary Sun, like if they got one page photos, those were on the wall and it was dark and it was sweaty. And that's where we met Keith Hart. He was in there. Now, one of you, had, did you have the cowboy boots on or did yeah. you, you had the I think I was wearing a super tight shirt and cowboy boots on just to try and look a little bit taller and a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. Then we said, okay, let's give it a try. But the hotel Hilton Okotoks, it was so old. The fire escape was a rope out the window. Yeah, I think you just said Hilton. It wasn't the Hilton. It was the Willingdon. Oh, just being facetious. Yeah, yeah, the Willie for short. Yeah, that's where I, when I went in there, and that's where I stayed. I remember it was four hundred bucks for a month, and like what a bargain that was. Uh, no phones in the room, just a payphone in the hallway, 
and uh, your room had a bathroom in it, and um, that was about it, and a sink. And I remember when I walked in, there was bullet holes in the window of <laughs> this hotel. But but I was so I was I couldn't tell your mom what a beautiful restaurant they had there for you. You had that old steamer trunk, and on top of it, you had a. A propane fire thing that you're eating your craft dinner on. I walked over <laughs> and cried. I said, I can't tell your mom this is where you're eating at. <laughs> I used to take you and Lenny and a couple of other guys, let's go for a meal. My God, you guys wolfed down steak and eggs. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, ne- the next year is when I drove out there to Okotoks to the school. And I remember I had that 76 Velari, which was, uh, it was, it was the color, it was rust colored. I think there might've been some green in there somewhere. And I remember, like you said, okay, when you're gonna go when you drive there. You said if you if you start falling asleep, pull over on the side of the highway, which I still do to this day. And you said if you miss a turnoff, don't like speed over. Just don't worry about it. Go to the next one, drive around, and come back because you don't want to get in an accident on the highway. So that was the rules that that I that 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 I had. And I, I remember too, like I had a five thousand dollar bond that I cashed and I paid for my wrestling school out of that, which was about three grand or two grand. And the rest is what I had to live off of. And then you also gave me a shell card where I could buy gas or whatever food was available, burritos and Twinkies and all that sort of stuff. But that was it. Like, it wasn't like I had like, you know, a lot of money or whatever it was. Cause I don't think we had a lot of money really to give, you know what I mean? So it was better than nothing, but it wasn't really a lot. It's like, here's your three grand or your 2,500. Here's the credit card and go make your fame and fortune, kid. Now that Volari was a real chick magnet because the windows didn't, one didn't come up, I don't think, or it wasn't a window. We were crying in the park in our house driveway when you left. You had a bucket of chicken beside you, I think. (laughs) There you went. I remember over the years, you were really daring because you're driving on the Harry the highway so much you went and bought those deer whistles for your bumper so you wouldn't hit a deer and I'd, oh wow you're really living man <laughs> well it's because i did hit a deer the first time um th- that i was driving we, we could talk about the palcos the first time i was driving to their house because they lived outside of okotoks i did hit a deer and i had to go get a i remember i had to go to the junkyard to buy a, a quarter panel for the dented up uh, deer that I had, deer deer panel. So then I had a rust bucket green car with a white quarter panel that I then spray painted green. So so the chick magnet got even more plenty then. And then you drove guys home in the winter time with the windows open. Sleeping. Well, yeah, that's the, the first time I came back for Christmas. Warren Rumpel rolled down the the window to smoke a cigarette and it broke. So then I had to prop it up with cardboard driving home, and every couple of miles I'd have to pull over and pull the window back up. And then it broke down in Mooseman and I was stuck there for three days. <laughs> and I was like, Mooseman's only like three hours away. I should have just called you to come pick me up while they fixed my car. Remember the wheel bearings had blown. <laughs> what does that even mean? What's a wheel bearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So let's talk about, you know, when 
we're, we're laughing about being in the Willie. Uh, actually, let's not jump ahead to that. So, so you did come and visit me at the school, and what did you think? What are your memories and recollections of going to the to the Hart Brothers camp and seeing us training? Well, after I met the fifteen other people that were there, I was so thankful Lance was there because again, that dedication of all the people, Lance from down east, so serious. You two guys hit it off, but you. You didn't have each other. I don't know how further you would have gone because yeah. you lived the lived the whole thing. So I was comfortable that I knew you had somebody that you could mentor with all the time. Well, then I went to the Silver Dollar Saloon. Frank Sissons, I think he was there. Frank Sissons, yeah. And I watched how they trained and everything else. And you, you could see right away there was a difference between you and Lance. And there was one other person there that had some potential. Eh? And the other guys were there trying, but some of them were quitters and couldn't do it. It was painful. I mean, I watched they did those stretching exercise on you guys. I thought, this is illegal. This is adult abuse. Because they tried to rip your groins right apart. And I, never, I don't know if anybody ever did it at another school. And then you'd try your moves and everything else. So I was quite comfortable coming there. I knew you guys weren't eating great, so that was fine. But again, I lived your, your, your dream, your passion. So I, I was able to say, okay, I understand what you guys are doing, what you're after. And then you got... You know, you can see you guys started sooner than any other guys that you had potential to go somewhere. Then the other people started. You had one girl there, I think, uh, at the whole. Yeah. yeah. And so I admire everybody being there. It wasn't easy. Now, let me ask you this. Who else do you remember being there? Any of the other students that you recall? You know, my favorite. Who's that? Wolfman. (laughs) Wolf. Yeah, Wolfman Wolf. Yeah. And there was one big guy. And him and Will, they were supposed to go underneath their legs, and they couldn't remember, and they'd run into each other. One forget the jump, the other forget the jump. Um, now I can't remember a lot of the other guys. Who else was there? Well, Will had a kind of a wonky eye. So whenever he ran the ropes, he ran the ropes on an angle. But I remember this. It's funny because you talk about Lance and Chris making it, and there's one other guy that had some matches who, who I'll remind you of in a second. But all Wilf wanted to do was do jobs for WWE. That was his goal. And there was a TV taping like in Saskatoon or something where Wilf actually had a, a squash match or at least was booked on the show. So he he uh, he lived up to his goal. How about this? Dr. Love. Oh, you're kidding. Do you remember him? No, I don't. I remember Titan, but he was there as a wrestler after. He wasn't. Yeah, no, Vic, Vic. Remember Vic DeWild? <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell us about him. I can't, and I can't remember the. I just can't remember. But for some reason, you guys stood out more than anybody else. He, he was a little guy that looked kind of like Andy Kaufman from Taxi, and he was he was called Doctor Love, and you always got a kick out of Doctor Love because he was just a little a uh, little guy that made the natural transition from pro archery into wrestling, and he considered himself to be a little bit of a ladies' man. And I remember you always you always liked the Wolf Man. He always liked Doctor Love. How's Doctor Love doing? <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Admire, admire anybody. It's like going to anything, like well, any kind of sporting camp. Right. You may not be the guy who gets picked. But you still got to compete. So when when you saw the camp itself, did you did you think like, okay, this is a pretty, pretty cool. Like this is solid. This is he's going to get his money's worth here, or, or, or? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because again, I was there for hours watching you guys, and I couldn't figure what are they doing? Because I think you guys, for a while, you guys were running your own camp. (laughs) 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 You you and Lance, you know, you you know, Lance should have got paid some money for instructing in that. And uh, but again, you guys never 
stop talking or moving around. Let's try this. Because some of the, the one at the Silver Dollar, there was more junk in the training room than uh, there was tables all over the place because it was a bowling alley, was it not? <laughs> it was a bowl. It was, yeah, it was a bowling alley casino. And that was kind of the back room where if you stood on the top rope, it was like our house when I used to jump off the bar onto Wallace when we were, when we were wrestling. If you jumped off the top rope here, you could put your head through the roof. And that's how I learned how to stand on the top rope. I started losing my balance. I just reached my arms up and touched the roof. And that would give me my, my balance back. Yeah, yeah. No, you had long days. And I'm so thankful the families were up there because uh, money was tight. And you ended up painting fences on a farm and uh, with the Pelco and became lifelong friends. And, you know, you had people you could talk to up there. So I was comfortable in the surroundings that you could reach out to somebody because I've always said you need somebody else in life to go talk to. And those are pretty solid people that you could talk to. Yeah, that must have made you feel pretty, pretty happy when I hooked up with the Palcos, who were a family that took in a lot of foster kids. And uh, they had the connection with the aforementioned Paula, who was my aunt's sister. And so they hooked me up to, to, to paint the fence to make some extra cash once wrestling school was over. And I thought it was just going to be like, you know, an old lady's picket fence. But instead, it was like the great fence of China. This thing, they had about 50 acres on their farm and it went all the way down. And I was like, I'm never going to finish this. And after about three months, I just gave up. And at that point, I'd already, we already had struck up a connection to where they actually let me stay there for the grand sum of $10 a day room and board. Yeah, and that was upstairs in the attic, I think, because I came to see you there, and I couldn't find you. I thought you were in a, living in a lighthouse. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't in the attic, but it was the upstairs bedroom. It was, it was, it was right next to the attic. It, my closet door was the attic, actually. Again, confirming that you wanted this thing, because the boats didn't come quickly, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so you know, it wasn't a lot of work. You guys did a lot of crazy things, driving to different places to work and not getting paid, and... Uh, but you had each other. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So let me ask you this. You mentioned the Winnipeg trip, um, which is probably the first time you saw me have a pro match. Uh, and there was Kerry Brown and Bob Ryan. Do you remember the first the first pro match I ever had in Winnipeg? Who it was? It was on that same day because I worked three times. The show was like at the Garden City, the Diamond Club, I think it was called, like you said. And my first match was against uh, Captain Jones. Captain Jones. And he was frightening. <laughs> he had to run around the shower to get wet. But he was all dressed up. And when we got in with you, you guys were going to work hard because that's what you believed. And he wanted out of there so bad. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like a school teacher that was just getting a weekend gig, you know. But he had the outfit. He looked good. And then your buddies were all there. They made it a fun night. I'm sure they set the record for beer sales. And then they said, we're going to use you again. You're going to use you again. And, and then the last bout was real. I mean, you're going against. Uh, in fact, I was just looking up Bulldog Ball Ground. He was actually born in Shoal Lake, Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
little bit of a football player, but they mentioned you and the Don and the Lance are guys he wrestled against. He ended up in Kansas City. But for us in Canada, he was legit. Yeah, I remember that night afterwards because it was it was uh, it was against Kerry Brown. I think Bob was obviously involved, but I remember Kerry was like, "Well, let's get some juice on the kid," uh, which I knew from wrestling. So basically, wanted me to to get some blood. And I, I just imagine the riot that would have happened if they would have cut me open in front of all you guys. It would have been brutal. But that's what he wanted. Like as a true heel, that's what you do: cut open the young guy and build up for you know the big return match eight months later or whatever it would have been. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but then you did some TV uh, promos also. I remember, I can't remember, it was at Garden City or somewhere else, and they were, who was the radio announcer? was a huge wrestling fan. and he Very uptight. Yes, and he, after it came, he said, wow, this is exciting, you know. So then I knew these guys were around a little bit. He just loved watching you. But then he did those promos, and that's also impressed me. Where would you get that? A lot of it's off the top of your head, but I think it was in Buffalo, I'm getting down the road where I came to, to, to see you. You did 15 promos in a row. Mm. Just rattled them right off. And I said, how do you do that? There was no cut. Let's do that again. Different cities, different thought process. And I always remember it's got to come from somewhere. So all that stuff you did in Winnipeg starting off, obviously you worked on it, worked on it, and made it to perfection. I always, how come you can't screw up on that stuff? Maybe you did. I never saw it that day. Well, it's funny because you just back then there. That's how you just did promos. There, there, there was no scripting or, or writing anything down. You just did. I remember the, the very first promo I ever did was was uh, in in Calgary. There was like a big a big night at CNWA, the, the wrestling company that still ran out of Frank Sisson's bowling alley at the time. The remnants of Stampede and Bulldog Bob Brown was the booker. He was the booker everywhere. He was the booker in Winnipeg. He was the booker in Calgary, and he didn't like me, but. Um, he said, you know, we want you to do this promo about your match next week. Uh, it's a big card. We're bringing in the midgets, so make sure you mention the midgets. And I remember I was driving there, and there was um, the new David Lee Roth album was coming out. It was called A Little In Enough. And the whole hour was like a David Lee Roth, you know, promoting this record. And he would do interviews, and they'd play songs and stuff. And I remember they said something, and he goes, you know, there's a fine line between a pat in the back and a kick in the pants. So let's dance. And... You know, David Lee Roth can say that shit and get away with it because he's David Lee Roth and it's awesome. But I showed up there and I was like, I'm going to use this line. And the guy's name was Mike something or other. Mike Davis, I think his name was or whatever. And he goes, uh, you know, so well, you got the big match next week. Uh, what do you think, Chris? And I said, well, you know what, Mike? There's a fine line between a pat in the back and the kick in the pants. So let's dance. And he kind of just stared at me. And I remember just staring back going, I got nothing else. And the midgets are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you be there. Why come see the midgets? <laughs> and that what was important that Calgary, the the stampede, that was pretty popular at West. Oh yeah, big time. I did a pretty good job on that whole thing, and uh, so you put your name in there. You were starting to be recognized. Uh, yeah. Well, the problem was is that Stampede Wrestling closed six months before I went to training. I remember it closed in about the Christmas of '89. Like I just missed it by that much. So, like I said, they picked up the pieces, and that CNWA was on TSN across Canada. Right. And I actually made it on a couple of weeks, one against Brett Como and uh, another match. I can't remember. I was on two or three times with Ed Whalen uh, commentating. I remember I took a little clip of his where he goes, I like that Jericho kid. And that was kind of the beginning of my highlight tape that I made back in those days. Well, did Ed do the Calgary Flames uh, broadcast? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's right too. Yeah. He was very, he was very kind to him. Yeah. Very, very famous in Calgary and kind of the, the voice of wrestling for that local, you know, that local crowd. But you know, guys, all that. And so you started there and you're doing this and that. When you did get to the wrestling, some of those boats I went with the guys you met and talked about to Winkler, to Portage, to Morris, they were some of the hardest working boats I've seen in wrestling. You had some crew of guys who were going to do anything because you all wanted to make it somewhere. And I remember the one in Morris, and I think Rick Martell came in for mm-hmm. that. And who's the little Japanese guys? It was a oh. Ultimo Dragon. And I watched that boat, and you had that. Was it Timothy Flowers? Ahead, he was mm-hmm. whacking people with a stick. There, he was nuts at night. Mm-hmm. I sat there. Now, if I look back, that was more entertainment. It was like the old. Uh, some games aren't great in the National Hockey. This was entertainment. And people were running scared. I remember the dress room. I remember, I remember, I always remember the phrase cheap pop because you introduced me to Ultimo and he just, they all bowed to you, the Japanese guy. And they're bowing to me, bowing to me. And you said hockey, and he bowed to me. And he, you said to me, take your teeth out, dad. I took my teeth out. And he, oh, hockey, hockey, hockey. To this day, <laughs> if I go to, when I went to Japan, oh, I take my teeth out and you go, cheap pop. <laughs> what a party trick. <laughs> I remember it, it, it with Don and Lance out in Portage Prairie with the pig in the ring. And you guys, I mean, everybody at that time, all the guys wanted to be there. So they were, I thought, worked very hard. Did they have the staying power? I don't think so. But for a price for that night, it was a pretty darn good show. Well, Donald, I'll tell you right now that that lineup is one of the best. It's a lineup that I think people don't even realize existed in 95 because it was Chris, Lance, Ultimo Dragon, Bad News Allen, Rick Mortel, Jerry Morrow, Johnny Smith. Uh, uh, Edge was there as Sexton Hardcastle. Christian was there as the male nurse. Uh, Lenny was there. Flowers. I mean, you had this lineup of these guys. You know, there's four or five Hall of Famers right there, and probably 10 Canadian Hall of Famers. And here's the best part. When they filmed it, I don't know what kind of a camera they were using. Somebody forgot to flip the switch from, from black and white to color. And two of the cameras were in color, and one of them was in black and white, and it was the hard camera, main camera shot, so they could never use it. So they were basically lost forever. I remember how angry Don was. He's like, I can't believe it. They turned it on black and white. So uh, What was Bad News Allen famous for? What was he famous for? His dress code. What did he do? What, he just wore leather all the time? Red shoes. <laughs> yeah. Red shoes, a red leather jacket, red pants, and a red kind of... Uh, flat top African style cap that he used to wear. They were like you say, they were dynamite names, but the guys wanted it and they worked hard for it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So there was, was there quite a gap there between, you know, those days in ninety five, because then I went to, you know, Japan and, and, and Mexico and ECW and all that sort of stuff, Smoky Mountain. So I think probably the next time that you maybe did see me wrestle live was that show that we did in Buffalo for WCW? Was there anything in between that that you can remember? Uh, I, I've got a. I know I've been down to Grand Forks in that area there, but I don't yeah. know if we were down. But WCW days though. Yeah, no, I, I think Buffalo might have been the one. Buffalo is the one that they brought me down, and uh, you decided to to use me. You, you're at that time there was conspiracy theory going on. And you wanted me to come out in the ring and honor the uh, French connection line of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Perot and those guys. And the guys all said, your dad's going to freeze like a deer in the headlights. So you give me a couple of lines. So I went over in the corner. I started talking up and down, up and down. You know, and you'd come over. Tell me what you're saying, dad. I told him, no, no, no. You say this. 
I'll go back in the corner again, walking up and down, up and down. And it's getting, and everybody's leaving me alone. Good luck, Mr. Irwin. And I know it was at the back of the ring I had to come out of. And now I have to come out and the crowd and the lights and you're falling down. It's conspiracy, Dad. And I say what I have to say. And I remember walking out of there. And everybody was so good to me. Way to go, Mr. Irwin. You did it. You did it. I headed right upstairs, had a beer. I was in a adrenaline rush, and I did it. But I was so intimidated because you kept correcting me. Don't say it that way. Say it this way. Don't say it. You were so, so detailed and everything else. But I remember that night, I said, I was part of something there, and I didn't screw it up. Well, it wasn't It wasn't everybody that was saying it. it was Bischoff that was saying you're probably going to screw the bed from what I remember what you're saying. Could have been, yeah. And once again, th- th- this is no, there's no rehearsal of this. There's no script writing. It's just we had you were there. You're coming down. I think I mentioned that you were there, and Terry Taylor was like, "Yeah, let's have him do something," but have you kind of? I was the heel. You'd be the big baby face and bury me. And you were the one who came up with the French Connection stuff. I never said a word of, about any of that, as far as I recall. I remember you just saying, "Look at this out here. The the the, 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 the line, Timmy Horton, uh, you know, Gilbert Perot. These are guys I played with." These guys were true, true athletes and true winners. Not like you, not like you, Chris. You're embarrassing me, or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, and then I capitalized on. Don't you ever come home? <laughs> yeah, and then and then Terry Taylor wanted to bring you back again over the over the ensuing weeks to be like my enforcer with a hockey stick. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. My dad's not coming to hit people over the head with hockey sticks to help me win matches. I'm like, really? You don't want to do that? I'm like, no. So I cut your wrestling career short, Dad. You went and got a Ralphus. <laughs> <laughs> Replaced by Ralphus. The other I always, the calls I used to get as a parent. Are you Mr. Irvin? Yes, I am. Well, we're from the California hospital in L.A. or San Francisco. Do you have a boy named Chris? Is yes. You better get hold of him. His wrist is broken. That's what are you talking about? So you're on the road down there and you're wrestling in some... Uh, Flea market. You broke your wrist. You went for the x-ray. The guys are driving away, so you didn't wait, and you jumped in the car. I talked to you about a week later. I said, Chris, how's your wrist? He's why? I said, I got to call. Your wrist is broken. Really? It wasn't my wrist that was broken. It was a, a, bo- a couple bones in my hand. And the reason for that was we were, me and Lazansky and, and Como, we drove to Pomona, California from Calgary for a match in a, fle- in a Mexican flea market. They announced me as Chris Harachico. <laughs> and the ropes were made of, uh, of of literally a rubber hose up your nose with a rubber hose. It was made of, of of garden hose. So when I went to the top rope and jumped off, there was no spring to it. I just I just landed on my hand and I had to go to the hospital. But I mean, this just like when I broke my arm in uh, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I had to go to the hospital then. I got that written down too because I knew this was going on because you were practicing in the afternoon. And then I think it was Cornette wanted to drive a truck over your arm or something like that during the match. <laughs> Make it real. <laughs> what are you thinking of this stuff at this point? I mean, you, I mean, here's the thing. And somebody asked me about this yesterday is that I think one of the reasons why that you kind of supported my decision to go into wrestling is because you had done the same of going into hockey at a very young age and probably had the same amount of people saying to you, oh, you'll never make it or whatever. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But. Did, did you kind of always appreciate that because you had been through it yourself as well? Well, definitely. I would never doubt what you're doing because, yeah, I left when I was 19, same as you. To live away from home was unheard of. And uh, and people always doubted what a career. 
it wasn't so much even with you what people say to you. It's how they look at you. Mm-hmm. They you know what. Is he crazy? He ain't gonna make it. They don't have to. Their body language tells. Right, them. right, right. And so for me, I remember I was so anxious to get home. They sent me home at Christmas, my first year. Harry Sinden was the coach. I was homesick. How embarrassing was that? My first year pro hockey. They sent me home for Christmas because I was homesick. You know, yeah. and then I went back down there. And luckily, I was living with a guy named Joey Watson. And again, the people that I was around made me stay because it was then that first year I realized you know what first year I got back I was 19 I phoned the guys to see if they're at the Isaac Brock canteen dance and I phoned Mr. Skinner to say can I get in after 10 o'clock I'm home and when I got there nobody could care less <laughs> I realized, nah we're going different ways and uh, yeah so for you to do that stuff it was injuries that I didn't have control of that bothered me, and I had to let you go through. Those are the most painful things I had. The boat in Vegas when you're wrestling that Japanese guy. Talk about that one. In in Vegas, I remember standing with those wonderful Mexican veteran wrestlers, and you guys dropped, and they said to me, get to the dressing room right away, Mr. Irvin. He could be concussed. You can't help somebody else's pain, and you being my son, I couldn't live it for you. And that right. bothered me. And I remember coming in and the doctors are there and you were so mad. And I'm going, you're mad because, Dad, this is a show. We should have put on a better show. We should have done this. And you were livid because you took ownership of, you know, and I know what happened there. It was just a mismove. And, and, but I remember, I can't live this kid's pain. He's got to live it himself. And that bothered me a lot of times to say, I could see you. And I phone you sometimes and say, you know, I can tell by your voice. A chop hits you there. I could tell certain things, and I went, "Yeah, he's got to go through it." I can't be saying, "Well, don't do that." You know, mm-hmm. I was going to do some rapid-fire questions: thumbtack match or belt match. Which one would you rather have? I mean, <laughs> I was there at the belt match. Which was the belt match? Chris Benoit in Cleveland. Oh, really? What, what, what did we do? Belts. Oh, was no, that was Shawn Michaels. The Shawn Michaels. Oh. Is that the night I won the title? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had two matches that night. The first match, he was just whipping me with his belt. Yeah. And Jessica was there, I think, at that time. Yeah. And we're yeah. and I'm going, ooh, this is. And I remember sitting with you after him, you weren't sitting. But all those things. So as an athlete, I recognize I can't be advising you unless you advise, ask me. You just live through that pain. Okay. And that's the things I'd get a phone call. Uh, Mr. Irvin, uh, it's on the press right now that something's happened to your son out in Victoria with fans. And I got no. Yeah. So you got to just believe I got to talk to you first, you know, what's really going on. So those are the things I wasn't scared the night in Winnipeg where you and Lance wrestled Gene Kaniski when he was 95. <laughs> he walked out and he looked like our, our grandpa with a, with a baggy underwear on. And- we actually, we actually were his tag team partners and that here's a little bit of trivia. That was Gene Kaniski's last match. It was. Yeah, with partners were me and, and, and Lance Storm. And I remember he was sitting there. As, I don't know what it was with these old guys. They would just sit there naked. And Bob Brown used to pay the guys naked. And Dusty Rhodes used to do it too. And and I remember Gene was sitting there. I, I'm envisioning he was having a smoke. He probably wasn't. but uh, And he, he's, we hear the music and it's like, uh, that's our ring music. He's like, ring music? Never had that before. And he stands up and he's like nine feet tall, pulls up his pants, Takes the last drag, throws it to the ground, butts it out, and goes, all right, let's do it. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, talking of smoking, Winnipeg Arena, the two game names came to me. Brock Lesnar was at the Winnipeg Arena when he just came out of University of Minnesota. I remember meeting him outside the dressing room. And I said to you, his back was like a straight V. Yeah. But then you took me over one of those boats, and it was the big show. Yeah. Sit down. And Dad, this is Paul. Hi, Mr. Irvin. He was smoking a cigarette. And he shook your hand, and you just lost it in his hand. And he was smoking a cigarette, and he looked up, and he said, Mr. Irvin, don't smoke. It stunts your growth. And I remember, <laughs> what a neat guy. Then you said to me, don't get caught in this bus, Dad. Remember those guys in their buses? My God, they're 10 star. Yeah, exactly. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Did you ever meet Vince? Sure, quite a few times. I remember you used to say to me, how could you go talk to Vince? Vince has always been very kind to me. He always asks about you, yeah. Yeah, he always, when he came in, he always was strutting and he was always dressed well. And I, he's the guy who gave me the line when I said, how did you survive against Ted Turner? He says, I learned sometimes in life you've got to be a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> I'll never forget that phrase. Do you yeah. remember the thing you did the big boss man in Winnipeg with that to bring you in? Well, tell that story. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell the beginning and you tell what actually happened. So um, it was uh, right when I first got there, there happened to be a house show in Winnipeg. And the plan for me was to go in there and I was going to do a big heel promo on my hometown, which is so dumb, but that was kind of the idea. But the problem was that there was a bomb threat at the Miami airport and the rock got stuck. So they put me in his place for the main event of a nightstick on a pole match against the big boss man. You take it from there. So we sat at the back with your mom and that, and we watched. Doc Holliday had told me, they announced, Rock's not here. If you want your money back after the show, call us. I always remember Doc because it was important to him because he got a cut of the tickets in that day. Eh? Right. Hell of a boat, but there was a screw-up with the baton there or wherever it was. You, We had to run home and get your gear. Yeah, I had to go, yeah. And then we drove downstairs in the arena, and you did a heck of a job. Fans liked it. And it worked out great. And I don't know what you weighed at that time, but he was a big guy in the ring with all that police gear on or wherever. Well, he was about six foot six, too. He's tall. Yeah. And I'm so proud of you that after that show, I believe it was that show, I drove you up. We took Kane to the airport. <laughs> he was in the back seat. He took up my whole back seat. <laughs> never said two words. I've never so intimidated. We tried to get out of the arena. The fans were yelling and screaming. The next day, Doc called me and says, only five or ten people wanted their money back. Wow, that was yeah. Crazy, I thought, yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, that was when uh, that was when uh, <laughs> it was a nice stick on a pole match. So the idea is that there's a lot of drama of climbing up the ropes and finally grabbing the nightstick. Problem was, the first time we hit the ropes, the nightstick fell off the pole and landed in the ring. So then we had to work this whole match like Rocky trying to chase the chicken. Like, oh, I'm going to get it. No, we're not going to get it. Well, we're gonna get it. I remember Boston was just laughing. Typical, just old school brother, and thankfully he was in there. He's like, "Don't worry about it, kid. He's have a really high voice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we got this." Yeah, your adaptability at that age to be able—they can't teach you that stuff. You got to react, and that yeah. really kept me positive about it because you became like you know one of the best 
speakers and wrestlers and entertainers and that. But that was a young age. Somewhere in there, you had to react. You couldn't. Well, there was also that's another reason why I did so good in, in WWE when I finally got there in the face of adversity because I'd been wrestling for nine years at that point in time, and I'd been you know that was 1999. So you're talking nine years in, and I'd headlined all over the world. So shit like that happens. You just you just got to be cool with it, you know. So I think it definitely helped my career that it took me nine years to, to get to WWE. You went to Japan in the early years. I can't remember. You had a tag team part and the one guy couldn't go and you took another guy along. But you used to say to me with the Japanese, they wanted a piece of you guys. Okay. And I get rapid questions. They did kind of like kicking more so at that time and chops. And I always remember you say those kicks hurt more because they were for real. Yeah. I always asked you, how do you stop it? And you kind of told me, but then I said, well, what's the Mexican like? What You've learned so many different from you had to adapt. And you just can't walk out and say, oh, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right away to it. And I always remember the kicking. And I remember the last time you were kind of taking me to Japan. I remember looking up in that big screen and you had a big blood coming out of your head. Half your scalp was still on the, on the ramp. That was right early in the match. Play through. Yeah, that's what Naito Pyle drove me on the uh... – on the rampway, and there was a, a quarter-sized bald spot on my head from the hair being pulled away. So, yeah, so what, what, tell, tell us about that, about your your uh, experience in Japan. It was just last year in, in 2019 at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. No, I uh, – well, when I first got there, you'd already arrived, and we went to uh, – it was called the dojo. And I respected so much all these guys working again to try to travel the world, to live their dream. And I'm going, that was Chris, but it was the Okotoko Hotel. Well, that, was, that place there was not too right. But they were so kind and good. But to be able to adapt to different languages, different styles, and to be a leader, I said, I after I said that night, are you going to be able to work with this guy? I said, don't worry, Dad, we're all professionals. And then Paul Lazarby was there. He was kind enough to show me around all day. But all the wrestling fans were sitting down. I'd see it on TV, and I said, what are they doing? He said, this is the way they watch wrestling. And I'm going, wow. And then you came out, and I always know it's about the fans. They were scared of you. And I said, Paul, listen to the music. And the music there and the lights were incredible. It was 35,000, 40,000 people. Then when you walked out, people were just and then when you left there, and people were running away from you. Said, How do you get that kind of magic with people from another world? Okay, and I know they watch you over the years, but you still got to draw them in. And I've written down here: How do you draw fans in when they're not ready to pop? How do you get them into the mood? How do you? You have to read the crowd. So that night when you walked in, when I I was, well, I was staring around because I sat in the back. You, you had tickets for me up front, but I always like to sit in the back. And a lot of the old old. Yeah, Superstar wrestlers were back there. And I remember you walking down there, and I saw that stunt. And I'm looking at the screen. I said, Paul, am I seeing what I'm seeing? He said, yeah, I think something. And then after I remember saying to you, Chris, can I see your head? <laughs> he said, that. I was walking in the ring, and I looked down. There was blood and hair. And you said, that's my hair, and that's my blood. <laughs> Again, you did it all. So the, the atmosphere was. But what I remember even more so, you had a dressing by yourself. People congratulate their honorable and everything else. There's a knock at the door, and two of the biggest sumo wrestlers came in in full gear, and all you guys are bowing to each other. I'm saying, oh, they're not coming in here to take a round on my son. But it was respect. Two different worlds. And I thought, isn't that good? 
guys just respecting each other's industry. And I, I remember that night too. But then I remember after leaving and the fans pushing and this and that and everything else and how you would, <laughs> one guy was really yapping. You just scared him right off. Then we got in an elevator and a young couple, I think they were just got married, walked in, the girl almost fainted. She had an autograph from you a year before and you signed her autograph and she walked backwards off. Oh, Jericho, Jericho, I thought, good for you, pal. You mm -hmm. respect the people who are paying some of your salary. So I had lots to me, but I also at that time, unbeknownst, I was listening to part of the negotiation with you and Vince. And uh, Oh, wow. Really? I, I remember that. I remember the ups and downs and this and that's. And, uh, I, don't, I don't recall what, what exactly what happened. What did you hear? Well, that's when you were negotiating where you're going to stay or go. Oh, wow. And then Vince wasn't being very responsive to you, and that bothered you because you wanted to get some kind of clarification that, eh? And at the end, it became a, almost like a gentleman's agreement. Okay, good luck, Chris. Well, thanks, Vince. And I, I remember I said, I thought you guys too. What I heard was you both handled it as professionals and respect, I thought. So mm -hmm. I, I was thankful to be part of that. I could listen, you know? So Right. Yeah, I, I learned a lot of stuff from you over the years from these <laughs> Naito hit me with that kendo stick so hard in the stomach. It was just like, <laughs> you remember how bruised you were? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we beat the shit out of each other. Cover that up. No, no, no. Just as we start to wind down, let's talk about Madison Square Garden. Obviously, means a lot to you. Uh, you, you, you played there. Um, I remember, it's a funny story I always tell. I remember watching you play. And A, it was way too loud. I had a, a sweater that my grandma had made me, uh, Grandma Mary, that I'd pull over my head because it was too loud. And I was mad because when you were skating down the ice with the puck, you wouldn't look up and wave at me. <laughs> uh, that's very emotional for me because a lot of things happened there. One was I was looking at pictures and I, I got a hat trick that game and you were there in your pink and white sports coat with a white turtleneck. I don't think you wore that since then. It was newspaper the next day i guess why i was Madison square garden was a, important to me chris because you brought a lot out of me as an athlete i don't look at myself you always say you were there dad well we had a time when you were growing and i was just finishing if you went to the garden people would ask about me and that bothered you okay and you say dad people ask about you it's about me and i said chris i can't stop that eh? but when we got to the garden I recognize. Do you remember the year I you had no money and I was going to become your manager and I give you a thousand bucks? A year later, you got off the airport and you give me ten one hundreds. You're fired. Here's your money back. <laughs> That's the year you you lost my beautiful black leather jacket. Somewhere it got stolen. I wore that on the cover of uh, of Arena magazine in Mexico. I used to wear it as as as, as a ring outfit. And it got stolen out of my bag one time when I landed in Tokyo. When I opened the bag, it was gone. Yeah, well, anyhow, so at the garden was important because we now respected. I always we were in this together. Your experience, what I expect in the garden, very few places in the world other than the garden. Yeah, but I remember meeting with you, <laughs> and I had my luggage in the car. I said, Let's go, dad, right now. We got to go through that gate, and I'm going to myself, I've been through that gate a hundred times. There's gonna be all kinds of fans there, they're gonna try to get autographs. We got to keep on walking. We got 20 feet from the gate to go in, and the and the whole all the fans just parted. Yeah, and I went, holy god, Chris has really got 
control us. And two guys walked out in front of us. I think they were the president of the Hells Angel, the most beautiful leather jacket. Chuck Zito. Yeah, we walked in and got on the elevator with him, and he just said, that your boy? Yeah, good boy. He met through the hall. <laughs> I remember that. Then, uh, so the garden itself, I stood back and I had a beer and I'd walk around. That was the first time I saw the lighted, uh, some fan made a lighted Y2J, you know, sign that the light bulbs going off. And I said, this is really cool, you know. Then the boats and then being backstage. And you were so proud of me because you told everybody I was part of the New York Rangers history. You know, see my dad's picture outside the dress room. He was part of the third period over our third overtime goal he assisted on and the picture shows my skate with number 27 on you can't even see me and all the guys have said that's not your dad said, yeah there's number 27 and somebody said he bought them skates somebody else bought them but i remember being in there and the the fans were so rabid and some of the boats there was a thumbtack i think that was the night where those guys did what three table the guys were it might have been the hardy boys that they went through three tables. It was crazy, the whole mm. thing. Eh? And then to be after, you know, I was proud. I was part of it. I could sit in a dressing with you. And the people have always been very good. The wrestling people have been terrific to me. And being in the garden, hey, Teddy Evan, you know. And so that's always been special. The most special night is when I beat the hell out of you in Madison Square Gardens in the Superman, uh, Chris Reeves uh, thing where I put you over. <laughs> I was just going to know I put you over. I was just going to ask. About, and first of all, I, I never had any resentment or said it's about me. I always thought it was really cool that when I went to the garden, people asked about you. I never I had never thought that was I always thought that was really cool um, because even to this day, people still ask, how, how is your daddy? I went there last year uh, doing press for uh, AEW. That's when I got more airtime than Michael J. Fox. Because the first time they put my name up on the screen, they said Chris Jericho, WWE superstar, <laughs> <laughs> and so and then the, so then they showed Michael J. Fox, and then they showed me again and said Chris Jericho, AEW superstar. So I got two scenes. Michael J. Fox got one, but um, but but I remember the the the, the game at the Garden because there was four of them I played in a row. It was called the Christopher Reeves Super Skate, and he was a big hockey fan, so it was like the Rangers versus you know, celebrities. And the fourth year they called me to play and I said, I'll play, but only if you bring my dad in and you have to put him on the opposite team. So that's kind of where we got. So, so pick up from there. I think our coach, you had, we had Timmy Robbins playing on our team. I think Susan Sarandon was your coach. Yeah, she was. Yeah. I can roll on our team. And, and we had our old trainers and I got a tap on my shoulder in the first period. And they said, uh, Mr. Irvin, uh, your son wants you on the ice. He says, tell him, let me get my legs first. He wants you out. I said, no. Started to think of the second period. I got a tap on the shoulder, and I was wearing my glasses. Okay, tell him I'm coming out there. Well, I remember John Davidson, now uh, president of the New York Rangers, said, uh, oh, oh, Jericho and Urban, father and son. And it was a very emotional night because we had the police. We had the uh, mil uh, the, uh, the sailors, uh, you know, the firemen all part of that special game. Eh? I remember going out there and it was like uh, Gord, Gord Donnelly and Serge Boyan for Quebec. Uh, you want to go? Sure, let's drop. And we dropped the gloves. Well, I've never been so excited in my life. And you ripped off your shirt. And John Davidson said, Ted, over 15,000 people, Ted, leave your shirt on. Yeah. 
And we had a heck of a scrap. And the benches just cleared. And the emotion was so good. We had all those movie stars and politicians playing after. So we went, and I scored a beautiful goal, and I was named star of the game. Yeah, you were. Daniel. Son of a bitch. I left the ring. I left the ice soon. It was emotional for me because the pictures were you and Mark Messe. I went and sat in the dressing room, and the old baldy uh, uh, trainer came in and said, here's a beer for you, Ted. And nobody else had a beer when they came in. I'm just sitting there by myself, and Mark came in and said, where would you get the beer from? And the guy said, he's an ex-ranger. And I remember how much fun was that, okay, to, to be part of that crowd, to raise money, but to be together at Madison Square Garden. Well, it was great, too, because because we had talked, because every year I fought somebody. I fought Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. I fought David Boreanaz. I fought, uh, De- uh, what's his name, Dennis Leary. So that was the night that we fought. And I was I was calling the, the spots to you during the fight, remember? Yeah, I kind of remember. Keep hitting me, Dad. Keep hitting me. I said, why? I said, I'm putting you over. I'm putting you over. I said, I'll swing at you, and like you kind of like move away, and then you hit me, I'll fall down and jump on top of me and start hitting me. And I think you had some PST D because you were beating the shit out of me for a while. <laughs> I remember that night very, very well. Very emotional for me and uh, uh, good cause. And uh, But there we were together in Madison Square Garden. How great is that? Yeah. So, I mean, over the course of, of, of these 30 years, it's, it's like I said, it, it, it seems like it was yesterday. In other ways, it doesn't seem like yesterday. Um, I think, once again, one of the reasons why I, I was able to do this was because you gave me the support for it and never kind of had, like, there's no, you know, you, you, you give yourself a year to make it or, or there was no restrictions or anything like that. And... Um, I, I think that, I mean, I guess when this started, did you think I'd still be doing this 30 years in? You know, I, I phoned you about this whole thing, and I've been, I got 10 pages here, as I always do, and you won't let me speak that long. But <laughs> I, I didn't appreciate how big your heart was, how much you wanted it, uh, your pain threshold, your creativity. And I wrote down my last question, what kept you going? Because so many, you go so far in a career and then you say, I had enough. I don't know if you ever had that moment. I did a couple times. Says, One door opens another, recreate yourself, recreate. Yeah. If anybody ever said to me, you don't realize how tough this little so-and-so is, and you don't know, realize how much he wants something. You don't let anything get in your way. You've advised all of us over the years. You know, get on with it. One door shuts and I, where that came from, you live in that world to yourself. You don't let anybody in your bubble. So for me, so I think you could go this long. No, nobody could imagine that. Why you got there is I analyze why I ask all these questions about the TV and the quotes and this guy, that guy. How do you stand up certain guys in the dressing room? How do you have the guts to do that when you're only a young pop? How could you suggest that wrestler might have a career? And, and I go, where in the hell did you get that from? That's what I respect you so much for. And I know it's not been easy, but did I ever think it is? I look back now, boy, you're one of those uh, freak creations that you got something special in it, you, a want, a passion, and the fans. You believe in the fans. I mean, <laughs> it, it runs in the family because when I watch Ash play football and, and, you know, he's always the first one in the tackle, he's always involved, he's always talking shit. And I'm like, that's the Irvin gene. You know what I mean? It's, it's the tenacity and the, and, the, and the passion and the fire. It's the same reason why you were successful in the NHL. You weren't Wayne Gretzky by any stretch of the imagination, but you had the heart 
and 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 the belief and the passion and and the hard work ethic to to make things happen you know and that 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 means a lot when you're trying to you know do something that's very very difficult to do but the difference with me was when i got to new york i had a role yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where i fit in the club and the teammates respected that to this day i know what guys will say to me yourself you've had to change your role all around the world different styles and everything else so you're really not part you're part of a team but it's more selective than what i had and that's what so your creation of, and that's why you know i look back at all the schools and all those tapings here in winnipeg there were some valuable valuable lessons that you learned that a lot of young guys aren't going to get it now there are schools and everything else yeah the phone calls you had to make to get boats but that, but that goes. You always said you got to sell yourself. No one's going to pick up the phone and call you. You have to sell yourself to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's those all things. I got so many things. That I, yeah. Is there anything anything else you got written down you want to talk about? Well, I just uh, who was like I had who's like in a dressing room. Dressing rooms have to be key. Who's the fun guys? The trash talkers that kind of motivate everybody or do the guys all stay alone pretty well or you no know, the dress room is always i mean you always have that in every every you know every time every every era i mean there's guys like you know jbl was like that or or uh you know uh, brad armstrong was great at that and, and eddie kingston and aw is like that there's always you always get the characters and wrestling more so than anywhere because there is so many characters and so many people that'll you know, that are very, very, you know, gypsies, tramps and thieves to be there in the first place. So everyone's pretty much a character and, and some are more quiet than others. And others are just the total goofballs that are, are everything they say is funny. It's just like the dressing room in, 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 in a hockey team. Yeah. same. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you got three wonderful kids and Jessica there. What do you see now? You're like, I know you, you got a long way to go. Your mind's not, is not shut down. What do you see adding to those kids? What do you see adding to them? You know, it's it's funny. It's hard to say because, like, when I was growing up, you were just my dad, you know. And I thought it was, yeah, he plays in NHL, and everyone would be like, oh my gosh, your dad played for the NHL. And for me, it was just like, so what? Yeah, but he's just my dad. And then when I became, you know, a younger man, going for my own dreams, I realized just how huge it was that you made the NHL. And now with the advent of YouTube, you can go and watch a lot of your stuff. So I think it'll be the same for my kids. I mean, it's cool to them, but I'm just dad. You know what I mean? But yet when I, when I, you, know, you were on the hot wing challenge or you were on the one bite pizza challenge on Barstool Sports or, you know, you know, David Arquette, when my girls are watching Scream, you know, the other day and I get them to send a video to them. Then when they start realizing there's something different about this guy. And I think that'll come out more so as they get older, the same way it did for me as I got older. Yeah, because everybody's got gifts and your kids... I've got tremendous gifts too. They're all starting to just starting to show up. Yeah, they're starting to grow, and and we have the same attitude in our house that that we had in in our house when I was a kid of be creative, you know. And if you have a dream or have something that you want to do, go go do it, make it happen. There's no restrictions, and everything's positive, and that's the way it should be. Give me an example. The biggest venue that the adrenaline rush just kicked in, and you got the long ramp. You'd say, "Wow." All these years, here I am. Is there a special spot that you had a chance to just enjoy where you got to, that you had a chance to enjoy the moment? Well, it's funny because it, it, it go, once again goes in levels. The first time I ever got to wrestle in Winnipeg, the first time I went to Japan, Cork and Hall, ECW Arena, 
you know, going to uh, Madison Square Garden for the first time, Tokyo Dome. I mean, there's these certain buildings that, that, that you hear about so much. You know, the Forum in L.A., when you actually go there, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you've made this next level, right? So, um, I mean, there's, the, the, it's so funny because now we haven't gone to an arena in six, seven months now. You miss that vibe, and, and that's what wrestling is. You know, that's what hockey is and, and football is, is playing in front of people. So it's really strange, you know, since the lockdown to not have that. Thankfully, we do have some fans back. But to wrestle in the same venue for seven months, that's unprecedented. I've never done that before. It's hard to, it's hard to grasp. And you got to be there as an anchor for some of these young wrestlers. They don't get that experience yet of the fans pop, like me, don't like me. Well, but my, my point is I think it was easier for the younger guys to work in front of no people than it was for me because I haven't wrestled in front of less than, you know, 5,000 people in 20 years. Those guys just basically came out of the scene where they're working in front of 500 people a night. So it's a little bit more different where it's like, how do you, how is it going to be when crowds come back? What do you do? Like, obviously it's instinct, but I remember even now when having 500 people, it's weird to be out there and like, what do I do? Like, how, what do I do with my hands? You know what I mean? And it's just like anything else. We're going to, we're going to have to get to back into the habit of it. It'll come back quickly, but it's been a long time doing shows with, with no reactions. Yeah. So. Uh, credit to AEW guys are surviving very well. Well, yeah. And we've done a great job and we've adapted and our ratings have been great. Our demos have been great. The matches have been great. So we're doing the best we can and, and it's only going to go up from here, you know? So last question for you, is there any, any of my matches that stand out for you as ones that you enjoyed the most? Uh, I think the Shawn Michaels one of that's that that was that in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, that was a, a street fight or whatever it was. Yeah, what I wrote down, if you could touch on, I've enjoyed some of your tag team stuff with Kevin Owens and the Big Show. Mm-hmm. What you guys got out of each other? If I, I wrote it down, I said, how did you guys get? I mean, two different walks of life, and I know you're not afraid to say things, but I enjoyed the work you guys did, Big Show, and then. Yeah was more it was so close to being one <laughs> well both of those were, were very uh, eye-opening and show was my favorite tag team partner of all time by far uh, I, I yeah by far and that was because i was uh tag team champions with edge edge tore his achilles tendon and he was going to be out for eight months so they didn't want to strip me of the title so vince wanted me to have another partner because we were going into a feud with dx and a lot of people wanted to put me with a young guy. And I said, we can't do this. DX will eat you alive unless, we're in, unless I have somebody that's you know, a world champion level that can deal with them. And so I suggested Kane and Vince suggested Big Show. And I said, okay, great. But he's no more comedy. He gets rid of the one-sided strap thing and goes to a, a singlet. Or I wanted him in tights. He wanted to do singlet. And I said, and we're going to remember how big he is. And he's, he's going to be a giant with me. And Vince is like, Absolutely. And that's where it started. And then every match we ever had, I won, but because of him, he'd always knock the guy out. And then we got so close, we ended up being like an old married couple when he'd be like, what's the card? And I'm like, it's right there. Put your glasses on. I can't find my glasses. Your glasses are on your head. Blah, 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 blah. Or else I'd come up with an idea and then he'd come up with an idea. I said, yeah, that's good, but mine's better. And he'd be like, okay, fine. I'll just sit here and be, be a big stupid giant then. I won't say a word. <laughs> But we had a, a great chemistry, a great friendship, and uh, excellent partner for sure. Yeah. And then the Kevin Owens thing in 2015, I was ready to just do house shows until my till my time was up because in 2015, if you remember, I just did live events. I was not on TV, 
And then I came back to WWE for a short run. It was supposed to be for three months. And I hooked up with Kevin Owens. I was like, this guy is great. He's just like me. And then suddenly I had this big vision and ended up staying there for a year and a half. Uh, so that kind of, once again, creatively stimulated me to know that you could have some fun. As long as I'm having fun, I'll do this as long as I can. And every single time when I find something that opens my creativity, then the sky's the limit. Yeah. No, as long as you're having fun, it's terrific. And uh, because sometimes we all quit too soon. Right. Also, right time not to do it. But your career has also evolved now of building another wrestling fiefdom. So that's yeah. you entertain too because your ideas and your respect for And also, one of the things I'll say, you've always respected the world of wrestling. You honor the guys when they're there, you know, the old guys and new guys. And I respect you for that because the past is the past is the past. But it wasn't for the guys who came before us. I remember, was it wasn't Buffalo I was at where they had the Hall of Fame night? Yeah. Guys came in all dressed up. And I met <laughs> a guy who worked with Lou Thez, every boat just about. He was a multimillionaire. He'd started a rubber band factory. I remember sitting there talking, how would you go? I, can't, I remember, I can't remember, uh, Ilya, gosh, Ilya Paulo or something like that. I can't I remember who you're talking about. It's a Buffalo legend. Yeah. And if you go to Buffalo, you'll know. I think it's Ilya Paulo or something. I, I can find out uh, at a different. Uh, that too. Yeah. So, well, Dad, thank you. It's been uh, uh, 30 years. You were there from the start and you've been there the, the whole time. And I don't think I would have made it if it wasn't for your support and your uh, Shell gas card. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, Chris. You got a long way to go yet, and keep entertaining and pass on all your gifts to other people. And uh, uh, I've uh, thanks for including me. Yeah, this is a great idea, and it's a perfect way to kind of wrap up the uh, Jericho 30 year anniversary. Like I said, which is we've done every damn other thing, so this is perfect. So it's, the guy's name was Ilya DePaulo was his name. So there you go. Well, Thanks, Dad. You might own a rubber band factory. <laughs> yeah, that might be next. <laughs> I love you. Thanks. You too, pal.